Looking for a one-stop shop for all your audio and video needs? Then look no further than Always Press Record Productions. With over 100 hours of original content produced, Always Press Record Productions has an experienced staff on hand ready to assist you with all your YouTube, podcast, and music video needs. Check them out at alwayspressrecord.com. Once again, that's alwayspressrecord.com. And remember, they press record and you become the star. Welcome to the Mangrove Community. Strengthening the community one branch at a time. For more information about the community or how to volunteer, please visit mangrovecommunity.org. All right, so we're back with another episode of Mangrove Community presents Reasonable Doubt. And uh, so we're here today and we're talking about a topic that has become very interesting to me and I, I would like to get more insight on it because I believe it's very important for our community and our schools. Um, we have a guest here today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. How y'all doing? Carlos J. Malabe and I'm from Translating Success LLC. Translated Success. All right. So just just let us know a little bit about yourself, your background, you know, um, where you're from, you know, background career wise, things like that. Cool. So once again, my name is Carlos J. Malave, and I run my own uh, consulting company called Translating Success LLC, where I built a curriculum um, and I go into schools and to help implement restorative practices within classrooms and administrative boards and everything like that. So the whole thing, when it came up, I, I've been in education for about nine years. Okay. So with education, I taught all different subjects and um, I started speaking my business. Um, I created my my own speaking business about five years ago Okay. when I first moved out here in Texas. I'm from New York City originally, um, and I moved out here five years with my one-year-old daughter and my wife. Okay. Um, and, and what brought it, you to Houston? Well, the, my wife is from Trinidad and Tobago, mm -hmm. so she's from the Caribbean island. The weather is okay. much nicer out here. That's how those cold winters. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, for sure, okay. for sure. And and for me, it was like I wanted. I've I've always been someone to just go and take the risk. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember I was working. Um, I was teaching and coaching and doing a lot and I just had a moment and I talked to my wife and I was just like, yo, let's just do something different. Let's right. move. Right. Um, and I applied everywhere, like right. Singapore, uh, China. I was ready to get up out of here. So wherever, yeah, right? wherever. And Houston hit me up first. Uh, yes Prep Public Schools was uh -huh. the first school um, that hit me up. So when I came out here, I taught um, the first year I was teaching seminar, which is college readiness class uh -huh. and life skills. That's where it started. Gotcha. And before then, I was speaking at colleges and, you know, uh, programs. Mm -hmm. I'm a former college basketball player as well. So I kept on getting called back to speak to uh, basketball programs, sports programs, and then my alumni. Gotcha. Um, and then when I came out here to Houston, mm -hmm. um, I found out that it's like a business, like a career in speaking. Okay. Um, and I ain't, I ain't really know that so when i when i got into it right. i'm like yo i've been doing this for a couple years now mm -hmm. i have experience speaking in big big crowds i'm All good right. at it um and so let me let me find out the business behind it right. so i created my business my brand um speaking um and then uh last year so I taught at Yes Prep for three years and I was speaking all over and Kip Houston High School is one of the schools that I work with where I came into this school. Mm -hmm. um, I had written a book that was implemented into their freshman seminar class. And that I, was with Kip? 
With Kit, yeah. Okay. So I wrote the book while I was at Yes Prep. Mm -hmm. um, it's called Translated Success. Um, it's on Amazon and all, you know, online everywhere where you could buy Barnes and Nobles or whatnot. Um, but I wrote the book um, as a as a tool. So okay. I, I was the example, mm -hmm. the examples of being an athlete, um, uh, a son, a father, a husband, mm -hmm. all aspects of my life. And then at the end of each chapter is reflection questions on your own stuff. Good. So like the first the first chapter, I talk about how I found out addiction was real. Mm -hmm. um, and it was by finding my father uh Trunk blacked out in the tub mm -hmm. um, at like 3 a.m. in the morning with the shower. He's fully clothed, right. Tim's on and boots right. um, and, and, and uh, you know, jeans. And he's laid out and he got the shower on him trying to wake himself up. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was I was about like um, eight or nine. Yeah. And that's where it hit me like, yo, there's an issue. Right. So you're taking your real life experiences. Exactly. And you were putting them into a book. And yeah. I guess tell them how you eventually overcame these exactly. experiences. Exactly. And, like and, and the thing is, the, the, the thing with that, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be the example because the only way you get to, so, to get someone to think about their mother is mm -hmm. by you talking about your mother. Right. right? So for me, I, I had that concept in my head. It's like, gotcha. yo, let me, let me use my vulnerability mm -hmm. to open up and then they can open up themselves. So the first question of chapter one is like, who do you need to talk to? Because it became like, I was angry with my father for so long. Mm -hmm. It used to be like, yo, why don't you just stop drinking? Right. Like he would disappear he was like he dealt with a lot of anger situation and he used alcohol and mm -hmm. other stuff to like you know what I mean deal with it right. um, and instead of asking him you know for a long time I was like angry and asking him just stop blah, blah, blah. and then everything shifted when I was like yo why do you drink mm -hmm. what causes you to continue to feel like you need something to relieve some pain right, right? so the first question is who do you need to talk to Gotcha. Why you need to act, write down those questions? Why, mm -hmm. and then go have that conversation. And write down the response. So I created that book in all different aspects of my life, um, and then I made. It, I hated reading, so um, I made the book 100 pages. Okay, so quick so, read. Yeah, right? yeah, quick right. read. Every chapter is three to four pages long, and then at the end, it reflects the question. Right. And it don't. You don't have to read the last chapter to read the next chapter. It just like it's something. You can take like a different steps right. in your life. So you can read it and you don't have to read it in sequence. Exactly. Order. Exactly. But yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. So I guess going back, what um was it something that you saw in in your students coming through the years, or is it just something that you felt you had to put out there? Did you see yourself in a lot of the students coming up Absolutely. that made you wanna write this book? Absolutely. Or? When I did the the the, the seminar class, high school um middle school seminar class, uh -huh. uh, high school readiness class, um I, I was dealing with these situations where I was trying to build a curriculum from scratch. This was the first time they had this class. So mm -hmm. I was coming from New York. Um, I had teaching experience in New York and coaching right. experience. And then coming in here, and this was all new to me. So I was learning with the kids. Mm -hmm. And the kids had their own trauma they're going through. And right. we, I'm building relationships. And I'm learning how to have empathy, not sympathy. Mm -hmm. And that was key. Gotcha. Right? Like, I don't, I've been through trauma. Mm -hmm. But I don't understand your trauma. And I had to, it, it took, that's where I learned, like, Okay, like I need to, I need to be able to say, how do I support this person? I don't really know what that feels like. Right. Instead of like saying what teachers are always trained to say, I understand you should be able to do this, that, and the third. And sometimes we really just don't understand. Mm -hmm. And I really like opened up to that in right. seminar class. And that's why I wrote the book, like seeing them and them needing an example of, I, I started seeing myself 
um, as an example for them because gotcha. they would look at me as this teacher. I made it, mm -hmm. but they don't know that I went through similar type things gotcha. or like my own trauma. And then I processed it. So when um, when I wrote the book and I taught there three more years at Yes Prep, um, and then Kip, I was speaking at Kip uh, for uh, a couple years, and mm -hmm. then Kip created a position for me. Uh, right. The principal took a liking to me, the book, and was implemented into their school, and I kept on coming back and doing engagements. Gotcha. And then he created the restorative justice coordinator position. Restorative justice coordinator. Coordinator on okay. campus. So what that entailed was I was um, working with administrators, teachers, and mm -hmm. students alike to build relationships and help people be able to get to the root cause. And then instead of like suspending kids mm -hmm. and expelling kids, which statistically um, does not work, right. right? Over time, like they have statistics for days where that just does not resolve the situation. Right. They don't have proof where suspending a kid will improve his behavior. Exactly, it never works. Make yeah. it where he won't repeat the exactly. behavior again. It just, it just takes care of the issue for a couple of days and mm -hmm. the kid comes back angry and not understanding why right. and how to fix it. You know what I mean? It's just like a cover-up. Gotcha. But basically, the principal saw a need for it and he saw my relationship building. I will come to these speaking engagements and some people speak um, like they'll come for a certain slot in the day and mm -hmm. speak and then they bounce, right. right? For me, it was a whole day experience, right. right? I wanted to be there from the bell, ringing in the morning, greeting kids at the door, getting mm -hmm. a vibe of the school right. and what they really needed and building relationships. And now after I speak, I will stay. Like I had lunch with the mm -hmm. kids and that he saw that and the relationship building stuff was there naturally. Right. That's what I wanted to do. Um, and then he created the position and then it was just like a whole learning experience where um, I had to really, like I saw like on a whole nother level, like everybody has their stuff, but who's really identifying it, mm -hmm. right? Everybody has trauma, but not everybody identifies right. it as trauma, right. right? And then it's just covering up, covering up. Mm -hmm. And when I was at Kip Houston High School, I taught a course, one class um, where I had student leaders, juniors and seniors. And what I did with them, we call it the Restorative Justice Council. Mm -hmm. um, what I did with them, I gave them training in conflict resolution, uh, Radical Candor, which is a book written by Kim Scott mm -hmm. on leadership with compassion, but being direct, right? And then circle leading skills. And then once we get the training the first semester, towards the end of the semester, we started going out into classrooms mm -hmm. and in the school, right? And dealing mm -hmm. with situations. So it got to the point like, yo, uh, Jeffrey, there's a situation in this class. I need you to talk to the student and then figure out what happened with the teacher, mm -hmm. get them to be able to have a conversation. Right. So the kids started becoming So it might be a mind. situation where a teacher and a student may have words mm -hmm. or in the classroom and it gets reported back to you all and yeah, you, come exactly. up, you come in for the conflict resolution exactly. portion. Yeah, of. yeah. And they were okay. getting the training. So it started with me doing it and them like watching me. Mm -hmm. I would bring like, I had a student, Ibrahim, they like, yo, come with me, watch how I do it, then you want. So that was a training, right? right. And then in the classroom, we had these conversations, how we're like, what happens if, what if this happens? Mm -hmm. And then we come up with solution and play things out and then we started doing it. Um, and then even like student to student situations, yeah. right? So the students, and it changed the culture. Like I was like, yo, damn, this works, right? And the, the, the thing was the class 
was not mixed of just like the kids that were super good at school. Right. It was a mix of kids that had all different experiences. Right. So I could pick and choose like, yo, I feel like you can relate to this right. situation. You can relate to that situation right. and we're going to work this out. That's right? what's up, man. So when mm. we did that um, and then we started going to, uh, I used my network with speaking. Mm -hmm. I had connections and I started going to, taking them to field trips to go to other schools gotcha. and doing the work at elementary schools, uh, high schools, middle schools. And then we were able to get on ABC News, they did a little feature on us from uh -huh. what we was doing. Um, and then from that, uh, so the first semester was amazing. Like we making mad progress. Mm -hmm. We got on ABC News, we getting recognition. Right. Um, and then on January 10th, 2019, a couple months ago, my father committed suicide. Oh man. Yeah, so um, it just like, it was shocking. I was very close to my father. He was he was dealing with stuff, but like, and when I wrote in the book, mm -hmm. once I started asking the right questions, it became like me learning from like what happened to him. Mm -hmm. And so that I don't, like I started seeing the patterns, right? right? Like, oh, okay, so you'd never learn how to communicate Right, you mm -hmm. you were abused. You didn't know how to deal with that. Right. You just continued to add responsibilities and had this whole thing of like, I'm a man. I need to deal with it. Don't talk about it. Right. So I learned that, right? Um, and I built this relationship with my, with my father where we talked about everything. Mm -hmm. He got to the point he was telling me about stuff with my mom's that maybe I should not be knowing. Right, right. But like, and then stuff that was happening with my siblings. So we talked on all different types of levels. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember he had called me right before. Um, he did it and ironically I didn't pick up because mm. I was talking to two kids about their relationships with their fathers wow. right so like it just like hit me on a whole nother level mm -hmm. um, and then you know um, I had to go through that trauma right. that became my trauma where uh, middle of the year everything going well and then boom and it's like basically the world the universe was talking to me like mm -hmm. okay you want to be about this life let's right. now now you got to really do this right and i had a decision I, I took a couple weeks off um you know of work we just got back from christmas break and mm -hmm. then that happened january 10th Man. and it just i had to go home because it was a he my father jumped in front of a train oh man so this was in new york in new york right, right? um in front of the l train which it comes full circle later on because i work with a school and i take the I saved the same train so I could just be there and feel mm -hmm. like, okay, we, we may go through his head or whatever. Right. But um, before that, uh, like it, he did that. And then he, that happened uh, January, um, January 10th, right? Mm -hmm. um, but he passed away January 12th. He was on life support right. and everything like that. Um, but I got to see that. Right, and I had to, I had to see the whole family grieving, right. I, and I, had, I'm the oldest of three, and I, I'm always the one that people lean on, so I had to be strong and all that, and I had to go through that whole process of like, really being able to figure out what was going on, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I remember my wife hit me, my wife was talking to me, and she was like, you know, what I mean, I'm scared for you, yeah, and I was like, well, what you mean? It was like because for so long. Your whole life, you had this measuring stick with your father, mm -hmm. right? You always try to compare yourself. Like my father trained me to be better than him. Right. Like he was like every generation supposed to do better than the last. Right. So his mission was like to protect me from all the bull. My father from the street, like mm -hmm. he was in 
gangs. He did all the stuff that I didn't have. Like Hove had this song, um, and it stuck with me. Um, Hove did that, so hopefully you won't have to go through that, right? Um, and I, I remember that song because I remember being young, mm -hmm. and I just switched the words up, and I looked at my father like that. Right. He went through all the bullshit, so I wouldn't have to go gotcha, through it. Gotcha. So that's how I looked at it. My father protected me. Like I knew people in the street that were like, real into it right? right and they wouldn't mess with me and they would right. be like oh you you call those son right you had that respect yeah that. yeah you call okay. those son right like my father was doing some wild stuff and i would hear stories i'm mm -hmm. like yo you was doing that with them yeah what and so, in your mind is like like you say that's your measure so yeah if you're not going that route not doing exactly. that i'm doing better than possible yeah, yeah. which is what he wanted me to do exactly. in the first place and then my wife was like you had this measuring stick um but now it's gone. Right. Who are you? She asked me just like that. Who right. are you? And I was like, I don't know. Hmm. The next day I went to therapy. Mm -hmm. Right? And I, I, like, therapy was crazy. My father went to therapy. He was like, this is bullshit. Right. Like, this don't make no sense. They don't give you no answers. They, they just, you just talking. They know your business. It's stupid. I don't learn nothing. And then when I went, I had all this stuff in my head, like, mm -hmm. what therapy was. Right. Um, and then. Which a lot of us do in our community. Exactly. We have, uh, you know, it's taboo. Like you say, people going to get in our business. Yeah, yeah. Talking to a stranger and things like that. But. So you went to therapy. Yeah. And, and and the thing, and going back on that, I seen an interview on the Breakfast Club with Dr. What's his name? Dr. Umar. Yeah, um, Umar. Yeah. He, the, the amazing mind that, you know what I mean? He go, he went, he had two interviews on it, but he had one recently mm -hmm. um, where he talked about that, like back in the day in history, um, when black people went to therapy, right? Um, it was something in there where the therapist, if it, it felt like, if there was something threatening or worrisome, mm -hmm. the, the therapist can tell on them. So and then they built that fear, and that's way back in the day, mm -hmm. where it built that fear, and that's where it comes from, where we're putting this, the black and brown people are putting this place, like don't go to therapy because it's like, they gonna rat on you. They they gonna, like say, they gonna label you. You know what I mean? You talk about your son's trauma, or mm -hmm. what's going on with your son, and then they tell on your son. And your son gets arrested, or you know what I mean? Gotcha. Come at you. So gotcha. it became a like, let's not do it. So that's that. It just meant I saw the Breakfast Club interview mm -hmm. yesterday, and I was like, oh damn, that makes sense. Right. How it all but see if we, down. If, but see if we go back and really know our history. Therapy, psychology, all of that started back in Africa with the mm -hmm. tribes. And it actually started with the men. Mm -hmm. They would go off and they would sit in circles and they would talk about yeah. things that were going on with them. And through one another, they would figure out how they can overcome these things. Yep. So it, it started with us, but like everything else, it's, you know, it's going through the ringer throughout the years. But so how did therapy help you though when you when you actually went? So when I went, um, I'm sitting there and I have all this ideology from my past, like mm -hmm. what therapy is, what, right. whatever. Um, they're not really gonna help. So I'm sitting there and I'm talking and she asked and I'm just like, F it, let me just try it. Like mm -hmm. I gave in, gave my like midway through, I was like, whatever. And I just said what was going on with me and then it clicked. I wasn't there for any answers. Mm -hmm. I'm not there to get any type of information from you. Right. It's for me to be able to let it out. And with your license, you can't walk out of here with this information. And by me having this space to let it out, mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about, wait, that person didn't talk. 
let me ask them, I don't want to over talk, is a place where you can just let it all out and right. leave it there, right? Because I would, my wife was that for me. Mm-hmm. But I noticed when you have a partner, and this is what people do, they, they try to use it with their partner. And when I would do it with my wife, but it gets to a point where like, I'm over talking, I'm putting too much on her shoulders mm-hmm. and vice versa. She feels like she's putting too much on my shoulders. Right. So you don't like truly like get into it for right. as long as you really want and to. You feel like you got boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got to be like, okay, let me ask her a question. Let me ask him a question, mm-hmm. right? So there's that battle, right? right? With therapy, for me at least, it just became like, F all that. Mm-hmm. I could just say everything for however long I got this session for, right? Mm-hmm. And just let it out. And then it started hitting me like, the more I talked about it, the more I, I identified what it was. Right. What you were able I, to deal with. Exactly. What, the fuck, what I was going through. Right. Um, and then I realized, like, going back to with what happened to my father, my father grew up without his father. Mm-hmm. His father committed suicide when my father was four. And my father's father jumped in front of a truck. My father jumped Mm. in front of a train. Mm -hmm. So, like, I I learned that all through his past. And I'm like, yo, fuck. Like, there's a pattern here, right? right? And who knows, you know, back in time, like, you look back into history, history, like, it probably is a pattern that kept going and Mm -hmm. skipped, like, a generation or two and then came back, right? right? Because of all what? Now, my my father's father um, was an alcoholic as well. Right not dealing with trauma, right. finding other like, stuff to numb the pain. And it is studies that show that that can be passed on genetically. Exactly, right? you exactly. Know, those type of, going through that type of trauma, it could just automatically be passed exactly. through the DNA. And man, wow, that's an amazing story, man. And definitely sorry to hear about that. Uh, prayers out to you, go out to you and your family, man. And you. it's just a blessing that, you are able to identify that and, and do something with it. Now, we talked about, like, you asked a question with your dad, why? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's, like, the basis of restorative justice. And um, for the people that don't know, can you explain what restorative justice truly gotcha. is and and the benefits it has? Gotcha. So restorative justice is about getting to the root cause of what's actually going on with us personally, right? So, mm-hmm. um they're trying to replace it as a, like replacing discipline for it, right? Okay. And it's becoming a thing, mm-hmm. right? But with my experience and the gap that I've been seeing, I'm trying to make it more of a lifestyle right. shift for educators mm-hmm. and for students alike. It shouldn't just be done for students when they're dealing with stuff. It should be a norm within schools, right? right? For teachers and students and administrators to deal with their own stuff, mm-hmm. right? So um, the mission is, to be able to identify why we have triggers, what are our triggers, what are our biases, mm-hmm. right? And then let's deal with that so that we can be better f- people in these spaces, right? right? When you say triggers, because I guess that's another thing that we're going to have to start talking about, like you say, in our community and it becoming the norm, just like in therapy where you're able to talk about things and get things out so you can identify it yeah. as an issue like you said, to rec- recognize your triggers. Mm-hmm. These triggers can come from home, from traumas mm-hmm. at, at home, traumas that you see and face in the community yeah. and things like that. And you bring them into school and like you say, unless it's identified, you may not necessarily know why you're reacting a certain way. Mm-hmm. And restorative justice steps in to, to help them identify that. Exactly. So, and, and back to, to get back to like what happened with everything, because it, it will answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I, I went to therapy. I'm figuring everything out. And then I decided to go back to work. Okay. Right. This okay. happened in January. I got back to work like mid-February. Okay. Right. And I go back and everybody like shocked that I came back because I had this mission now. Mm-hmm. Right. It was like it was bigger than me. It was no longer something to make me get on this platform mm-hmm. and build my brand and, and have like a, a, a niche. It became like I legit started feeling like if my father had this work, mm-hmm. right, or this exposure right. earlier on, it would have saved his life. Because mm-hmm. I looked at how he dealt with his anger. My dad had a lot of trauma from young. He was abused as a kid. Um, he's seen domestic violence all around him. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up without a father, um, very poor, right. right? I mean, and then he just kept going through it and he worked a construction job that he hated mm-hmm. for 30 plus years, um, had arguments with people at work, but didn't know how to articulate himself and he went to, to anger. Right. And then anger led him to do dumb stuff, right. right? So I really felt like if he had the work, it would have saved his life. So what I did was I finished off the year and I had this curriculum and I had this this bigger purpose. It wasn't mm-hmm. about me. And it felt like I was going, I use like my story to be able to connect to students even more. And it became like I was identifying what the hell I was going through right. through the work. And okay. it became something that made me, I started using the practices of how to like deal with conflict, how mm-hmm. to talk to people, how to like identify my bullshit, right? right. And, and be able to say like, okay, I'm wrong. like. Like learning from kids and administrators and teachers alike, mm-hmm. right? So it not only made me a better employee, I started taking the practice home. Right. And I realized like I became a better husband. Wow. I became a better father, a better son to my mother, a better sibling, a better friend, right? And I just started becoming more present, mm-hmm. right? Like I need to be in tune. Everything just go, 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 go. Right. And I had, it slowed everything down to the point where I wanted to build relationships because gotcha. the concept of restorative practice is building relationships. Gotcha. But everybody's saying it, but who really doing it, mm-hmm. right? Like, so like for me, it was like, yo, let me, I will go play ball and I, I'll talk with someone and then I'll just, you know what I mean, I'm out. But this, like, I started going to play ball. Mm-hmm. I played ball for two hours with my boy. And then we sat down on the side for, like, four hours just right. talking about talking. life. Right? And then, like, with my wife, like, I noticed that, like, usually, like, skills that I taught my kids, right? We talked about dyads, which are, like, um, intimate conversations. You mm-hmm. go knee to knee. Then we had this activity. It's in my curriculum. So, like, you do, uh, you write down a conversation with someone that you needed to have mm-hmm. or that they ain't here no more or that you need to have right now. Mm-hmm. Write it down and then you're going to act it out. So, you're going to need to knee real uncomfortable, look them in the eye. Right. And the purpose is one person is going to focus on just active listening. Because mm-hmm. when we listening sometimes, like, we just we focusing on giving that person affirmation. Like we shaking our head, uh-huh. we saying, yeah. And then we we lose track of what they saying. I, I seen this happen with my wife. Like she talking and then I'm focusing on going like this mm-hmm. and being like, yeah, yeah. And then I like forget what the hell she said, like right. two, two words earlier right. and I'm trying to pick up. I'm like, that's not listening. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the other person's focusing on like, not worrying about all the bullshit we're trained to think. Like, whatever happens in the household stays in the household. Whatever, like, don't talk about your, your shit. You're on the weak, mm-hmm. right? So, it's more about, nah, F all that. That killed my father. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it more so that we know it better than anybody. So, I don't give a damn who knows my shit. Mm-hmm. I know it better than anybody. Right. You ain't gonna make me feel bad about it. Yeah, you don't to put it out there. Exactly. So. And I'm, I'm gonna control the narrative, right. right? So, that's the mission, right? So, we, we doing that and then I'm like, I'm taking that home, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing it with the kids and then I'm taking it home. I'm like, let me do this with my wife. Mm-hmm. Let me do this with my child, 
right? Mm-hmm. Okay, she's five. Five is hard, right? So like, that's a big training. My mm-hmm. daughter, like, she could be like a lot of explaining and mm-hmm. a lot of patience goes into that. Oh, yeah. So sometimes it's like, okay, restorative, restorative, right? It's a lifestyle, now to practice. Mm-hmm. So like, for me, it's like, it became something that I'm using all day, right? right? So everything's aligning now. Right. So at the end of the year, I made a huge decision with the support of my wife. My dad's life insurance came in, mm-hmm. which was surprising. I didn't even know it was going to come in. And we talked about it. My wife was like, yo, like, take the leap. Go. Like, this is what he would want. Mm-hmm. And I quit my job at Kip and I started my translator success wow. uh, business full time. I copy wrote my curriculum, which aligned to ELA Teak standards, mm-hmm. uh, lesson plans, unit plans, uh, assessments, projects. And something that people, and I was sat down with ELA teachers, administrators to, you know, all the bull to like get it on paper right. and make it legit. Right. Um, so I line up with everybody. Exactly. Because most times it's like everybody has the idea, but they don't have the paperwork to back it up to right. get it in the door. Right. right. So I did all the paperwork. I did all the groundwork mm-hmm. and I copy wrote it. Um, and then um, now I'm packaging it where you can, get, you can use it in all different ways. You can implement it in your classroom, mm-hmm. right? Where you can start, use it once a week, tw- once a, every two weeks, once a month, whatever, where you're building it as a norm. Mm-hmm. Kids are getting exposed to what circles are, right. what are dyads, why is it important to, and it has like literature in there where mm-hmm. you can read uh, passages, articulate and break down what help you pass these big ass tests they gotta take anyway. Yeah. So I did all that to be able to implement it a little bit because I will go to these conferences, restorative justice conferences, mm-hmm. and I'm learning from these people. They're doing great presentations. They do show you a circle. You feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Then you go back in the classroom. It's like, how the hell am I going to be able to do that in here? Right. Right. And right. everybody I talked to had that same thing. Like, yo, that's great. Mm-hmm. How'd I work in here? Is, it, a, is yeah. it the time? Exactly. Or you don't have the... The time in which they do it, you don't have that time to do exactly. it. Exactly. Or you don't have like the culture set from top to bottom. Right. It's like, yo, gap. How do I fill this gap? Gotcha. So for my curriculum, it was like, boom, gap filled. Mm-hmm. Right. So now I got a curriculum where you see me speak. It sounds amazing. You hear my story. You see what I've done on mm-hmm. my credentials. But now I have you walk away with 30 plus lesson plans, unit plans, curriculum, mm-hmm. everything that can be implemented to a um, AP literature class because right. the, the work is extensive like that, that the literature is there, but you're learning about where restorative justice came from. Mm-hmm. Oh, it started back in the 70s when they tried to get someone that convicted a crime and who was harming the crime to sit down and have a conversation, Okay, right? And that's where restorative justice came from. Then right. they turned it to restorative practices more in the, um, in the 80s and 90s into schools, mm-hmm. right? To be able to do that. Now it's starting to be put into schools and it's popular to like replace discipline because of the mm-hmm. statistics saying kids that get suspended don't really, that like kids are not like it's not working right. right and then it's leading to this thing called the school to prison pipeline hmm. where kids are getting conditioned in school to get suspended expelled nobody learns they mm-hmm. go into the street and then the way they dealt with their teachers is how they're dealing with um with law enforcement and then it's causing them to get in jail right. and 32 percent of uh kids that are in juvenile detention centers mm-hmm. are kids with mentally disabled like disabilities, right? Uh-huh. So like they, they just weren't assessed right. They weren't identified. Exactly. And also, this is a crazy thing. Um, black and Latino people in public school systems mm-hmm. make up 29% of the population in public schools, mm-hmm. right? Across the nation. Yet 70% of in-school arrests are black and Latino kids. In-school arrests. In-school arrests. 
What's you crazy that number is how many that they arresting them as young as 10 in school? Exactly. And if you look at the offenses, and I prompt, like it's crazy, 95% of these offenses are non-violent. And we taking our children to jail and giving them breaks. It's it's from it's for like kid and it's like three strikes on uniform, three strikes on like um like language or like you know what I mean uh, like stuff that isn't violent. You know what I mean? It's wow. not like it's not like it's like we're being conditioned, and then we see and we had on my on my podcast I brought in a lawyer that mm -hmm. he drew Wiley, and he does his uh, business out here. Where he's he he does his practice and then he created a, his own nonprofit which is called Restoring Justice, mm -hmm. where he gives support to people that can't have the funds to get a real to get a lawyer to defend them. Gotcha. And his whole mission, like we talking, and I'm realizing the minute in our podcast, like things ain't that different. Mm -hmm. Like what's happening in these schools from elementary all the way to prison is the same stuff. Mm -hmm. The thing is, you have less opportunity the older you get. You know what I mean? Dude, less, less chance. Right, like right. You might meet one person as you're going up that you can hear and mm -hmm. be like, oh, snap. Okay, let me start changing my ways. Right. Right? What he explained, when you're at that level, it's like you don't have, you don't yeah. have people around. It's like you put yourself in a circle. Exactly. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Once you get in that age. and Man, that's, that's wild. And you take it back. Because I, I could think back, like you say, restorative justice in the 90s. I was in a peer mediating group, and at the time, yeah. I didn't I didn't have a clue what it was, and I was asked to be a peer mediator yeah, where I would yeah. sit down with two of my peers who had issues in the classroom and and see if we can talk it out. And I thought it was a pretty cool thing at the time, but institutionalizing our children at a very young age. How now your program beautiful, but from the outside with parents, what can they do to make sure that these laws are changed within these schools? What What is your suggestion? That's what I'm, I, I think, and what I, that's what I want to get to. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get into the door through schools. Like mm -hmm. I said, I started my business. I quit my job in June right. and I started my business. I'm, I'm still a couple months in where I'm mm -hmm. trying to build programs and more platforms, even using my podcast and getting right. on podcasts like yours where mm -hmm. I'm getting the message out there where I'm building stuff. So my next thing is how do I get the parents involved, right? right. Because it's full circle because I'm noticing what happens within the confines of eight hours, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's only so much you can do in that eight hours. And then you're exposed to the complete opposite sometimes right. when you get home. And it's not necessarily a fault the way things are set up mm -hmm. where people don't have the funds to be able to maintain it. It's a lot of stress comes from money, right? Right, Not having money right in a household will look a lot different than mm -hmm. someone that has money in a household, right? Gotcha. Um, so like being able to have that understanding and build these conversation and, 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 and bridge the gap. So like having, so what I offer too, so I got my curriculum and now I'm speaking off of the curriculum, I'm giving training to teachers. So I do mm -hmm. professional developments um, in schools for teachers. Mm -hmm. And then I also offer speaking engagements for students. Um, and I come in a couple times a year to check and help implement uh, my curriculum. I have two schools in New York mm -hmm. City that um, have invested in my program and are using the curriculum now. Right. Um, and I'm working with uh, HISD, Houston Independent School District to get it in over here as That's well. Cool. And I'm trying to get into doing parent um, uh, involvement as well, where mm -hmm. I do parents. This sometimes in the past where I did parent engagements, where I would do like an event in the day for the students. Uh -huh. After school, I'll do something with the, 
the teachers, and then mm-hmm. after that, I'll do like a a conference for the for the parents. Right. Right. And how does it look with the teachers? What are you What are you instilling in the teachers? I think I think with my experience, like being in it, it helps. Mm-hmm. Like I was there, right? right. Um, and although I may be young, that's where it comes into like, I don't want to ever come across like I know it all, mm-hmm. right? I'm still learning myself. We're right. all pro- we're all like in development, right? Mm-hmm. Where it never stops. But I think it's all about exposing people to certain things that they haven't thought about, right? Because of their days being so stacked up mm-hmm. or they don't have the space to think about it, right. right? And for me, aligning everything is the mission. So when I go into teachers, it's about like, how do we align what's happening in this forum at mm-hmm. school to what's happening outside of school? Mm-hmm. How can you align it? Because I've seen what can happen if I take what I do at school with my wife, with my kid, and then it, it just, you know what I mean? Everything just works better, right. right? So like being able to get teachers to identify that and then start saying like, my mission is, so I do these engagements. And when I say engagements, I don't just go up there and speak for like 45 minutes, 60 minutes everybody's moving. Mm-hmm. I get people talking. I get people like doing activities right. and actually practicing and seeing like, oh snap, this mm-hmm. works, right? So, and then they can walk away with something. I want the teachers to walk away and like, this is my mission every time I go out and I was able to achieve this a couple times so far and I want to continue achieving this where I get teachers to walk away like, oh snap, I need to go talk to this person when I get home. Right. I need to go talk to this person over the weekend. Right. Like I need to fix that. <laughs> well, it right? touches more. It goes outside of school. Exactly. With like you say, it's a lifestyle. I think, and the thing is, people, and not not only in education. Mm-hmm. I think overall, people work to get titles, right? And right. then when you get a title, you build this entitlement mm-hmm. that things supposed to go a certain way. Right. And in education, people haven't dealt with their trauma and their stuff in their regular lives with mm-hmm. their peers and the people that are in their realm, right? right? And then they go into these spaces in schools mm-hmm. w- without dealing with that stuff and then going into these schools with a title now, expecting kids to do a certain thing and give you that respect that you don't even get outside these right. walls, right? right? You just, you're just expecting to get that just off of your title. Exactly, and real <laughs> recognize real, right? right? So right. kids will smell fake from a mile yeah, away. Exactly. So why not let's get as authentic and as real with ourselves first mm-hmm. before we get in that space and we're going toe-to-toe with a student when they shouldn't even be that, exactly. right? Because we're all caught up in ourselves. Yep. When a kid curses you out, that's a cry for help. Mm-hmm. And you as an adult need to identify right. that. I am not bigger by showing who's boss. Right. I'm bigger by saying, oh snap, how can I support this kid? Right. Something's wrong. Yeah, because <laughs> most times a kid curses you out, you sit down and have a conversation with that kid and you find out like, oh shit, he went through that last night. Yep. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have a place to sleep last night. Yeah, exactly. Right? So I think it's all about mm-hmm. being able to have those conversations and then looking ourselves like, we all have biases. We all do. Mm-hmm. And we need to identify, like, for real, there are people out there, and I'm gonna be honest, there are people out there that are teachers or administrators, and they see kids that remind them of people that rubbed them the wrong way yeah. when they were kids. And they, they taking it out on them. They exactly. pass. And unconsciously, but it, <laughs> yeah. it happens where they don't even know. So exactly. I don't even blame them. It's right. like, you just never were aware of this. Exactly. And for me, like I tell people all the time, like, this is why I married my wife. Mm-hmm. I need, I can have people to kiss my ass all day. I can have people to just be like all nice to me and all that. I want to continue to grow. Right. So my mission was to get 
real people around me. Right. Call me stupid. That's not gonna be a yes man. Exactly. Like, exactly. Tell me what. Gonna challenge you on things. Exactly. Call me out on my shit. Mm. Tell me when I'm gonna like when I'm on bullshit. Right. My wife was a like one of the fir first people to be able to look at me and tell me, yo, that's. Stupid, what are you doing? You look this mm -hmm. way in a way where she's helping me so I don't look stupid out there. Right. Right? And then the people you always look back and you respect somebody that's gonna give it to you real, no matter how it makes you feel at that particular time. Cause once you calm down and really look at it and analyze, you're gonna be like, all right, they had a point I was tripping, I was out there looking exactly. bad. About to have us both out there looking bad. Exactly. You know, and they prevented that. So I appreciate and, it. And I think people that get scared off of that comment mm -hmm. is also you gotta be aware of intent. You gotta see the actions of a person when they give you that information. Right. My wife has always shown me, she has a track record of like showing me that she's for the good, mm. right, in me, right. right? So it's never from a place. So I could get mad, mm -hmm. then I'll just think about her track records like, but she never steered me wrong, right? right? And getting those people in your life is more important, mm -hmm. right, to be able to address that. And some some of us go through life not having that. Right. And we get these high positions gotcha. and then we don't, we're not, and then when someone hits us with that, we're like in shock. And then sometimes we react wrong. And right. that honestly, that is what's happening with law enforcement, where they're getting shot, mm -hmm. not being exposed to a certain type of behavior mm -hmm. or communication. Right. And then they put in a situation where they're in shock and then they react like we're human. We're right. going to react bad in some some cases if we don't know what it is. And yeah, if we right. haven't dealt with our trauma, we're going to like keep on reacting bad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all about having those conversations with not only administrators, law enforcement, bridging the gap. Yeah, across the board, yeah. Because yeah. even with, they, and it's restorative justice in, you know, in the legal realm of it too, mm -hmm. instead of just locking people up, trying to get them rehabilitated. Again, asking that question, why, what's going on? You catch a person stealing out the store. Why are you stealing? I don't, I don't have a job. I don't have food. This is how, uh, make a mean, uh, means to the end right now, ends to the mean. Mm -hmm. So you ask these questions, why you can rehabilitate this person. If they have an addiction, help them get out that addiction, yeah. help them get a job, which in the long run, you end up, you may spend a lump sum of money right there rehabilitating that person, but in the long run, you will help this person get out the street for good just by mm -hmm. asking the question why. So it's definitely an important thing. So restorative justice, from what I'm hearing is, it's creating an environment where you can be open and mm -hmm. transparent about mm -hmm. what you're feeling and it being received in a loving manner, mm -hmm. a loving environment to where when a person is correcting you on negative actions, mm -hmm. they're coming from a, a loving place mm -hmm. and just wanting to see you, you know, do the best in your life and, mm -hmm. and not go wrong. So. That's what it is from what I'm hearing. And then translating successes where you took your own personal experiences in your life. And then you've also, you created a curriculum that people can take with them whenever you do speak on restorative justice and, and how to implement this in the classroom. Yeah, yeah. And that's a beautiful thing you Thank have going, man. Thank so, And one thing off of that too, that if, um, to, to help people to hit it home with like a statement to put it all into one mm -hmm. um, exposure to vulnerability in a different way mm -hmm. we're told that vulnerability is weakness right. and that is bullshit right. I'm telling you right now my, that killed my father yeah. right and that's that kills a lot of men that's how a lot of fights start because exactly. that's how they 
what you looking at? Mm-hmm. Because when I'm looking at you, the person who feel like, man, why are you looking at me? Do he see what's wrong with me right now? Do exactly. See, that's exactly what it is. Do he see it on my face what happened to me last night? Yeah, that, I don't want to look weak. Yeah. I'm going to be taken advantage of. And trust me, like, I, I still do shit because I come from that too. Like, there's a reason why I tuck in my chain still. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up in, communi- in cumi- uh, communities that you can't just be walking around flossing all right, the time right. because you're going to be tested. Exactly. So like for me, I tuck in my chain unconsciously, mm-hmm. right? I don't show off my jewelry. Um, like if I know I'm going to certain areas, certain right. blocks, like I don't look a certain way, right? right? Unconsciously, <laughs> right. right? Because we don't want to look weak and we have to protect ourselves. Right. But I think we protect ourselves more by identifying ourselves better more and more and understanding why we do what we do. Exactly. And it, like I, I keep on saying this statement and I'm, I'm trying to build it all over this power and vulnerability. The more you tap into it, the mm-hmm. more the more a man you are. Right. Because I think we, we're told we're trying to be the biggest man or whatever, but the biggest man is not. Is the one that knows himself best. Right. Like I, I, and even coming from a spiritual place, uh, you know, and that's it, just one, something I believe in. You know, God, He can He can help you best when you're weak. You right. know, because right. you're vulnerable at that time. He yeah. know that you're gonna sit there at His feet and take His instruction because you will do whatever it takes to get out of that situation right. when you're vulnerable. So I feel like it, it being vulnerable is also being humble. Because mm-hmm. you're open to listen and take constructive uh, criticism, um, yeah, man. It we got a lot to to work on in our communities, especially with being open to what we are exp- exposed to every day, like yeah. PTSD. Like that's something I want to start talking about in our communities, man. We took. I remember one time we took a group of kids to the Rockets game, yeah, and. They were shooting the cannons. No, it wasn't the Rockets game. It was the um, Astros. Mm-hmm. And every time they scored, the cannons go off. And they scared. Man, them kids mm-hmm. were scared out of their mind. I'm like, what? So I thought back where they live, where they from. When they hear that type of noise, it's running. Run, something horrible going yeah. on. And and that's what's going on in our communities, man. And we, we have to start identifying everything for what it really is. Yeah. And have to be open to receive it. And then once we can receive it, we can do something about it. Yeah. And, man, you got a beautiful thing going on. So what, what do you have coming up? Any events? Um, what you yeah. got going on? What I The next thing I got going on, I'm wor- I'm working with a couple schools in New York City. So I'm mm-hmm. going back and forth. They implemented my, my curriculum. New man, Vision High up. School. New for, Vision High School. For Humanities in the Bronx okay. has, has started it. Um, and on January 31st, I'm doing a... I'm doing. I'm headlining my first event mm-hmm. uh, where I'm keynoting and I'm doing demos of my lesson um, in front of HISD, Houston Independent School Districts, um, and I'm going to be sharing what I've been doing, mm-hmm. and they'll decide to invest um, into putting it into all the districts mm-hmm. where it'll be a click away where people can just be like, I want restorative practices. Let me um, click the curriculum and then bring me in to like help. Uh, do PDs, professional developments for teachers, mm-hmm. uh, do speaking engagements for students, or, you know what I mean, work in any capacity to start building the um, the practice. Basically, get my toe in the door. Right. And what I'm, I'm planning to do is a busted door wide open. That's what's up, man. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at you in amazement. Like, 
it's a it's an amazing thing that you got going, man. You really got it going and wish you the best. And I'm sure HISD is gonna receive it well. Um so hopefully you'll be in all D and ISD soon. I'm um, I'm trying to be all over. Yeah, we've been working on some things, and and I heard what you said about the economic side of it. Um, with you know, you when you're talking to the parents, and you find out that the the money may not be there at home, they may be going through financial mm-hmm. issues, financial struggles. That's what um, Mangrove is working on. Um, fed up, family entrepreneur development like for underprivileged. So, I like that. You know, that'll be a side of it to where. When we do identify these issues in these households, maybe we can teach these children these skills. Um, even to the point, instead of suspending the child or or sending them to sack for a day, if we have a landscaping company that we can send them out to, put in some work, better. you know, learn a skill. Yeah. And then, hey, if they take a liking to it and really learn it, it, it can become a way for them to make money and provide for their family. And off of what you were saying with, uh, I love that, um, but what you were saying with helping the, the families out, I know for a fact, I went to, last week, I was at New Vision High School for Humanities in the Bronx, mm-hmm. and I ran classes all day. Like, mm-hmm. they were, teachers needed time to put in their grades. So I was like, yo, let me just take over this uh, seminar class. And right. I did classes all day and I did mm-hmm. circle with seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, and just doing the work, like getting vulnerable, this and that. One class, we got so deep and then they started talking about like asking me real questions, mm-hmm. money questions. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, what should I think about? Mm-hmm. And like, how do we raise that? Like, they, 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 they want this information, they but they're know. not getting right. it, right? But like, how, how do we get these uh, parents to understand going to a college that you can't afford like if there are studies done they're out there mm-hmm. that college is this a money thing yep. right names are just money mm-hmm. you need to be a, you need to be smart as into like how, how we how do we break the cycle right because right. we get these loans and we're trapped right. then like if you look at it like a kid goes to this big town college because first generation going to college mm-hmm. you're just hearing a big name you got to go Everybody through it happy. you get this loan yeah. right and this loan is going to get you trapped for the next 50 to 60 years that's what, how they're looking at it and that's going to force you to get a job you do not like yeah. and then it's going to start the trauma and you're going to start to try to figure it out because you're trapped already and then and then mm-hmm. you try to move out you get a car loan you get a house loan <laughs> and then it just keeps on spiraling out of control like, where you half a million in debt yep. and that's what happened to my family. My wife, my mother, my dad only had a high school education. He married, the smartest thing he ever did was marry a college educated woman, mm-hmm. right? Where she got her masters and everything. Right. But like my mom didn't, my mom figured out everything for herself. She was a first generation. Right. And like the, the debt just kept building up. Right. And my mission now is to break the cycle with that too. Like for now, it's like me and my wife on this mission to erase debt, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then being able to invest and then teach my daughter like, you know what I mean? Don't worry about the names and all that. Let's, what do you need? What do you want to do? Right. right? And then how do we get you to a point after you get your degree debt free? Right. What do you want to invest in? Where mm-hmm. you want to go? Right. I definitely need to teach home ownership, things mm-hmm. like that. Have programs where, you know, you can come out of college, just one year of rental history and get a home, you know, yeah. but you have to keep your credit clear. But those are things that, like you say, we're just going to have to continue to work together for. And, yeah. and, you know, we were talking about it earlier, you was asking, you know, mangrove community. That's what it's all about. We have restorative justice. So 
you know, we, we couple that together with a financial literacy program, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship program, and things like that. And we're really building our community from all sides. Love that. So where we're talking about it, we're making ourselves vulnerable to once we figure out, okay, well, this is what your issue is. Here, we have a resource to help you and your family with it, whether it's in school or out of school, to where the communities right. are all the way connected, both in and out. There's no reason why children should take these things home and, and nobody knows about it. Yeah, We have sure. to become connected as a community. It takes a village to raise a child. For sure. And that village has to be both in and outside of the schools, man. For sure. And I think... The last thing um, I would like to add on that, mm-hmm. for me, um, and this is what kids go through. Like I mentored a couple kids that had to go through this process too. Sometimes we so angry at who who's not there for us that we don't see who's actually there, right? right? We're so focused That's on true. we're so focused on it's not my father mm-hmm. that you don't see your coach, right. that you don't see that teacher, right. right? And being able to drop that like I I got to a point and my father brought it to my attention too and my coach brought it up to my attention like you need to thank your father cuz he never got in the way. There's some people that have pride that don't let other men into their son's life because mm-hmm. it becomes a pride thing. I need to do that. Right. Even if they can't. Right. My father knew he couldn't fit certain boxes. So he built relationships with these other men and so. allowed the relationship to build. So I, my coach Powell was a huge mentor of mine mm-hmm. uh, growing up. Smooth, old black man that... You know, he, he would go into the hood and the suit and give respect from everybody mm-hmm. and be able to like build relationships. And he became and he was like he came. He had a household with family, with like everything looked like what I seen on TV, like the Fresh Prince experience. Right. right? So I was exposed to that. Mm-hmm. But like being able to let go of like, OK, my like my father can fit these boxes. Mm-hmm. Then I got to allow other people to fit these boxes. Right. And that's how networking goes. And that's how you grow. Like people, people are supposed to do certain things for your life. Right. right? You can't fit a square into a circle. Right. right? And vice versa. Yeah. Take it for what it is and for however long you got it yeah. and know that that might change over time. Like it might be another person yeah. in your life at certain experience. I, I just refer to it as a sample game. You know, you just yeah. take a little piece, you sample it, you add sample it, like you that. add it to yourself. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I refer to it as, man. But yeah, so, um, man, beautiful thing. We definitely going to have to connect. Uh, restorative justice man asking the question why we need to start asking the question why in our communities instead of you know like you say trying to fit these people into these boxes or telling people you can change without trying to put ourselves in their shoes and see what it really is to live with an addiction or or to live you know have gone through abuse and and things like that and see how it affects your everyday relationship we need to have these open conversations with one another both inside the schools outside of the schools um you know carlos malave translating success check them out you know it's a short read but i feel like you know each chapter is packed with with powerful information powerful knowledge you know life experiences and things like that so Check them out. We look forward to seeing you in the school districts, man. Thank you for everything that you're doing. No problem, man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Also, if y'all want to follow me, um, I'm also on Instagram, CJ Motivation. I got a YouTube channel, um, Carlos J. Malave. Uh, Twitter, CJ Motivation. Um, what else? TikTok. I'm on uh, as many platforms as possible. You just look me up. It'll pop up. My mission is also to, you know, I post daily to like, 
help, you know, whatever I'm like, what I feel needs to be out there to get a, a kid or an adult to, to ask a question in their lives to like continue. So this isn't something that I do from time to time. It's a daily thing for me. And I try to be as vulnerable as possible so y'all can like see me and, and, and possibly it'll spark something in you to like do what you need to do in your situation. So... Man, thank you. Hey, he say he's not new to this. He's true to this. So it's, Ooh, a daily, like it's daily life for him. I like that. So like again, that. we appreciate it, man. Hey, love and blessings. Peace to everyone. I hope this was uh, informative and motivational for you. Thank I you. Thank you for having me, man. Yes, sir. Appreciate you.